listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. So Matthew chapter 8. I wonder at times what kind of voices get played in our heads. What kind of voices get played in your head? I'm a loser. I'm a failure. There's no hope for me. I'm ugly. I'm unlovable. I've made so many bad decisions in my life. I have so many regrets. I've made such a mess of my life. I've hurt others around me and even those that I love. Maybe it's I can't seem to get my act together. I'm pretty good though at faking it and people think I have it together, but I don't. I'm just weary and I can't sleep or all I want to do all day is sleep. Or maybe it's I'm so afraid. I don't know the future. I don't know what's going on. The days seem dark. The burdens, they're, they're so great. The future is so uncertain. And maybe the tape that gets played in your head over and over again is there's no hope. At least not for me. This is just the way it's going to be. And you start wondering, is this, is, is this the way it's going to be for the rest of my life? These might be some of the thoughts or the voices that get heard in the minds of people sitting here today. And these tapes can play 24-7 at times, it would seem. Or it happens when we look in the mirror, or it happens when we talk with someone and we get reminded of certain things and these thoughts come to mind. You know, in the last week, I've been gripped with the story of a pastor. A very sad story in the life of a pastor, as you see on the screen here, pictured with his family. Pastor of a very large church in California who had all the marks of a successful ministry. When it came to pastoral ministry, large church, large staff, leading a a, a very large congregation, beautiful family, as you can see. Yet this pastor has battled anxiety and depression. And last week he took his life, leaving his family and his church family completely brokenhearted. And his wife shared on some social media posts of his struggle with anxiety and depression and fear. And this can sadly become the sad state of not just people who are going about their everyday lives and people who we might think, oh, they're rocks, they're pillars, they're strong. It can happen to anyone and to everyone. And we pray for this pastor's family and for his church. The battles that we face, the hopelessness at times, even though we're managed to squeak out a smile and say, yes, God's in charge, and yet we have this sense of hopelessness in our own lives. Folks, I want to tell you this morning, the battle is real, and we're all in it. Because the enemy, even if you're having a good day, he's coming for you. And he wants to bring discouragement and defeat and to see disunity and to see distraction and getting our eyes off of the one and the only one who can help. And maybe you're sitting here today and you think there is no hope. And maybe it's been a cycle that's been going on for so long and you've believed the lives. Now you're even living those lies. 
Folks, I want you to know that hope has a name and that the hope's name is Jesus. God can turn and he can take whatever it is that we are facing and he can turn it into triumph. There is hope and there is help in no one else other than Jesus Christ. And we will see today that Christ is not only the cure, he is our only hope that we have. And today as we look at Matthew chapter 8, we're jumping ahead in the Sermon on the Mount. This summer we've spent eight weeks covering the Beatitudes at the start of the great Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gave. And that started in Matthew chapter 5 and we worked through those eight Beatitudes which showed to us as Jesus declared his first publicly recorded message that, that, that the gospel writers recorded and Matthew wrote it in, 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 in significant detail of what he had to say. And in Matthew chapter 5 as we've worked through each one of those statements, we we see the character qualities, the heart of a person, the, the heart condition of people who are truly in the kingdom, truly are God's children. And we see those eight character qualities that, that, that we are to possess and are to be growing and, and being transformed to become more and more representative, a, a representation of our lives. But so now today, we're skipping ahead and we're going to the very end of the sermon. Jesus has just pronounced the benediction and we're going to pick up what happened there. Lord willing, through the rest of the fall, we're going to go back and we're going to tackle this sermon. But I think what was happened here in the life of Jesus and in the life of the people and where we're at today and as we start this fall season together, even here on this long weekend, that this is a significant reminder of the mission that Jesus was on. And here we see as Jesus has pronounced the benediction, we see that he was a man of action. He wasn't just all talk. He wasn't just a, a good preacher. And as he stood up and he preached, this was the most amazing sermon that has ever been given. And as he is given this, he's not just simply a man with, with, with a great skills in speaking the truth from God, but we see that he's a man who puts his money where his mouth is. He's a man of action. He's a man of compassion. He's a man of love. And see, folks, there's such a danger that an authentic faith really recognizes and understands that it's not just head knowledge, it is also coming alongside and serving and caring for the needs of others. And that is something beautiful about the body of Christ. That's why a few moments ago when I was just talking about different areas to be able to minister to, it's not to, to fill our volunteer role ultimately. Yes, that does help, but it is for us to have the ability and the capability to be able to come alongside and serve one another here in the body of Christ and those that we trust in the future will join us as um, here, here at Harvest Kelowna. That we would see souls saved. And together we would see those souls um, discipled and to see them grow and then also to multiply that we would see multiple amounts of souls saved and souls discipled for God's glory. And see, if our faith is real, if it is authentic, it's not simply about having Bible knowledge. It's not simply about coming and sitting in a really comfortable chair on a Sunday morning. We're going to put our money where our mouth is, and it's about being people of compassion, people of action. And I love at times some of the stories that I get to hear of the compassion and action of, of folks here in the life of this church. I was talking to one of our dear seniors just, just yesterday. She hasn't been able to come to church for the last four weeks because of some health issues and the smoke and different things that are going on. Yesterday, a couple in our church went over and made her supper. 
And then she wasn't able to, to can peaches this summer at all. And so uh, just because of her health and different things, they took all her empty jars and they're going to fill them up with canned peaches. And something simple, and yet it is compassion and action. And it's more than just doing good deeds in, in those areas. It's, it, it's a spectacle of opportunity that we have to serve the body of Christ and to minister healing words and truth of God's word. And God will give us those opportunities daily if we only are ready to do what he's made available for us to do every day. Whether it's with our families, whether it's out and about in the, in, in the workplace, in schools, or um, as we're out and about in coffee shops, running into people in, in, for various reasons. And so we, need, we see in Jesus that he just wasn't talk, he was action. And starting in Matthew 8, we end up seeing as you continue to read in the next few chapters, Jesus uh, performs nine miracles that are recorded. Now we know in, in God's word and in, in Jesus' three and a half years of ministry, he healed thousands, uncounted numbers of people. He healed them all, anyone who brought them. He, he wasn't stumped by any of them and said, oh, this one's too tough for me. I'm unable to do this one because our God is able but in, in Matthew, starting here, chapter 8, and, and Matthew, the gospel writer, records nine miracles that Jesus, and, and singles out these, these nine miracles, examples that he sets for us of the, the depth of the power of Jesus and his authority. These miracles demonstrate for us his authority over nature, over sickness and disease, and even death. That Jesus has authority, is able to rise above any and all Obstacles that would come his way. And you see, miracles were God's way of authenticating the deity of Christ. To show the, the watching and the waiting world that this is Jesus. This is the long-awaited Messiah. He has come. And they see not only his, they hear his words, they see his actions, but they see the authority that he carries in being able to, to withstand the power of the enemy. Nature being able to still the storms. And even raise the dead. And so here we come to Matthew chapter 8. And you can follow along as I read it here this morning. Matthew chapter 8 starting at verse 1. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. And here in this miracle, we see that Jesus was the leper's only hope. There was no hope for this leper other than Jesus. And it is my prayer, it is my prayer this week and this morning as this message has been building and aspects of it has even been changing as far as how we ought to close here this morning. It is my prayer and it is my hope that we would see, we would come to the end just as the leper came to the end of himself and saw that Jesus was his only hope. Would we see here today that Jesus, no matter what it is that you are facing, no matter whatever it is that we're going through, Jesus is our only hope. It's not going to be more finances. It's not going to be better health. It's not going to have the right marriage partner or the right changed marriage partner. It's not going to be by getting this job or getting these kind of marks in school. It's through Jesus and what the life that he offers in seeking first him in and above all things. 
And so we see here this morning, Jesus is our only hope. And the, the first thing I encourage you to write down, uh, our message today is going to be followed by a bunch of C words here. And so I encourage you to write these down as, as, as I believe it will all make sense as we, we work through this. The first thing we see is the condition. We see the condition of this man and the condition was hopeless. It was absolute hopelessness was his condition. This man had leprosy or oftentimes referred to today as Hansen's disease. You can go and you can and research this on, on the internet. We won't go deeply much into this. But it was believed that this horrible disease was picked up from the time that the, Egypt, that, that the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. And when they came across the wilderness and went into the promised land, they brought leprosy with them. And a person could catch leprosy. It is a contagious, not highly contagious, but is still contagious. And, and people could come, uh, could, could contract leprosy themselves by coming into close contact with an infected person through their nose or through their mouth droplets. Found that on the internet. Now, I'm not going to describe and go into great detail of, of, of what leprosy or Hansen's disease is all about. You can go ahead and you can do that, but it is an incredibly disfiguring disease. It starts out as a small and a tiny rash, a skin irritation, and eventually, over time, even decades, will cover the entire body of a person. And that's what we see in the other gospel accounts. We see that this leper was full of leprosy. From head to toe, he suffered from leprosy. He would have been in the final stages of this disease. They say that leprosy is a painless hell for the person that, that suffers from it. The disfigurement and, and the eventual loss of limbs comes because the nerve endings have been destroyed. The warning system that we have when something is hot or something is cold or something is sharp they lose that sense. It brings numbness to their extremities as well as to their ears, their eyes, and their nose. It even affects their vocal cords eventually. And so a leper could burn themselves in a hot fire and not even realize that they burnt themselves because they feel no pain. They feel nothing. They could stub their foot or step on a sharp rock or, or, or a stick of some sort and bleed and bleed and bleed and not even necessarily be aware of it until they see a trail of blood or a pool of blood that is formed because they have no feeling in their body. It slowly just starts, they lose all sense of feeling. And because of that, infection and disfigurement starts to take place. And because of the seriousness and the contagiousness of, of, of this disease and because of the terminal nature that there was no hope, there's no cure, there's no help for this, incredible precautions were taken for the person who contracted leprosy. And you can read about those, those uh, conditions that were put on the people in Leviticus 13. I encourage you, just write down Leviticus 13. And then later I'll tell you to, to also you can take a look at Leviticus 14. As it states, what was to happen to a person who contracted leprosy? Here, here's just a few things. First of all, they had to wear torn clothes so they would look like a beggar, so they would be easily recognized. So they would wear torn up clothing. They would keep their hair unkept. They would cover their mouth when they were in public or any place where people might be, they were to cover their mouth. And whenever they would be in where people were, they would have to yell at the top of their lungs, unclean, 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 so that people would be aware and they would be able to get out of their way. It was also required that they live outside of the community. They weren't allowed to have access to their family, to those that they dearly loved. Oftentimes, all the lep person with leprosy could do would be re basically be resorted to begging, a beggar's lifestyle. 
This meant they were cut off from family and friends, their livelihood, even worship at the temple they could no longer do. The Talmud and ancient Jewish writings added to the restrictions of Leviticus 13. One could not get closer than six feet to a person who had leprosy. And if there was a wind blowing, it would be 150 feet they would have to stay away. If someone were to accidentally or somehow touch a leper, or even if the leper was to stick their face inside the doorway of a house and take a look inside, that person who touched the leper or that house would be declared unclean and they would have to go through a series of days of ceremonially cleansing to make sure that the disease would not be spread to anyone. What a life this would be. It was basically considered the walking dead. As they were cut off from society, their family, as I said, their livelihood, living outside the city. And to be found out that you have leprosy was basically to have a long, pronounced death sentence on your life. There was no cure. There was no way out. It would not heal on its own. Talk about hopelessness. The condition of a person with leprosy leaves you feeling hopeless, absolute hopelessness. Humiliation is another one, and I think these words will be on the screen that you can follow and, and to write down. Hopelessness and humiliation, isolation, even devastation, because when one found out, as I said, they have leprosy, their life would basically, as they know it, would come to an end. But then we see something else taking place. We see in this story the condition of the leper, but we see the cry of the leper. And what he does is he comes to Jesus. And, 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 and this is just amazing what we end up seeing here. Here we have multitudes of people. We know from uh, the other gospel accounts, but we also know that as Jesus is preaching the sermon and wherever Jesus was going, he was drawing a crowd. People were coming to not only hear him, but even more excitingly, to see him perform miracles and bringing them the sick and the needy and the demon-possessed and the hurting. He would, they would bring them to Jesus and Jesus would touch them. And so here there's, there's hundreds, thousands of people probably. And he here we have the leper coming to Jesus. Now, I'm not sure how you are with crowds, but oftentimes I'm not very good with crowds. I don't like dealing with large crowds. Yesterday, uh, we went to the IPE, you know, the Armstrong Fair for a little bit. You know, we had to get our redneck on a little bit. You know, everyone has to do that at least once in the summer, do some sort of redneck activity. And, and, and so we went there and wow, the crowds are crazy. And there was times we were trying to get from one point to another and there's people in your way and, 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 and all of this and you're kind of having to go around and, and all of that and somehow you just wish you could just somehow part the crowd. Um, another thing at, at times, uh, we would go to, when we lived in Alberta, we would go to some, some football games at Commonwealth Stadium when the Saskatchewan Rough Riders would be playing, of course, and we would go to these games or else we'd go to some Edmonton Oilers hockey games. And, and to get to the game, to, to go there or to come back, we would take the light rail transit oftentimes and, and use the public transportation in that way. And especially when the game was over, it would be so kind of amazing as, as people are exiting the stadium, whether it be Commonwealth or, or where the Oilers were playing, and you'd be walking out and... And, uh, and, and it'd just be like this, this herd of people just kind of all walking, kind of slowly like this and walking towards the train station. And, and, you know, the crowd, I mean, it's just thick with people. You can smell how much they were drinking almost or, or, or you could, you know, just whatever. It was just, just kind of those kind of gross kind of moments in life. And so oftentimes, just because I like to have fun, um, 
as we were walking, I would just go, moo. Because that's what we felt like, right? We just felt like a herd of cows just being heard, moo, as you're going. And, you know, some people would giggle, and some people say, oh, it's that guy again. You know, and, and, and just, you know, have some fun with crowds. The leper had no problem with crowds. People would see him coming, and they would get out of the way. He would be yelling, unclean, unclean, and, 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 and parents would grab their children and get them away. And, and anyone, even if, if they were faking that, you know, oh, I got a limp, all of a sudden they were healed because they could all of a sudden, like, get out of the way of the leper. I mean, it would be like the parting of the Red Sea. As, as the leper would be coming to Jesus and yelling, unclean, the crowds would separate, and here he comes to Jesus, and he is crying, unclean unclean as the word of God told him that he was supposed to do. And so we see the leper, he's coming in this cry of desperation, knowing that Jesus was his only hope, that apart from Jesus, his condition was hopeless. He had tried everything else. I'm sure people had, try this cream, try this salve, try, try doing this, go, go to the Dead Sea and dip yourself in, in the salt water there. Try this, try that, nothing worked. He's desperate. And then we also see him, as you look at the passage, he's coming in humility, standing out in the crowd, Yelling, unclean, unclean. And then we see him down on his knees, bowing at the feet of Jesus. In Luke's account, in, in, in Luke chapter 5, where you see the same account recorded, we see that he was on his face. What, what, what it talks there about him kneeling down, that he's down on his face. Literally, what this leper would have been doing, he would have been kissing the ground in front of Jesus. What humility. There's desperation, there's humility, there's worship, as he's, as he's even referring to Jesus as Lord and he calls out to him as Lord. There's desperation, humility. He's worshiping the Lord. But then we also see with great faith. Look what he says. He says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. In the gospel of Mark's account of this, in Mark chapter 1, we're told that he is saying this over and over and over again. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Lord, you can make me clean. Lord, you can make me clean. If you will, you can do it. I know that you can do it. And he was desperate. He was crying out in humility, but also with faith, knowing that God was able. But his big concern was, is God willing? We know that God is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine, that God is able to do all things. There's nothing too hard for our God. But is he willing to do it for me? News about Jesus had been spreading. The leper no doubt heard it. Perhaps even some other lepers had already been healed. And he knew that Jesus could heal. And so he comes to Jesus knowing that he's done it and that he can do it. But I wonder if he had the same kind of question that we oftentimes have. We know God is almighty. We know he's all powerful. But maybe I'm just a hopeless case. Maybe I'm too far gone. Maybe I'm not worthy. Maybe I deserve this fate for what I've done in the past. And this is God just getting even with me. Have you ever been there? Have you ever thought that? We know the word of God. We hear the word of God. We hear stories. We hear the stories of the transformation, what God has done in the lives of others. We know God is able, but is he willing to do it for me? And the answer for the leper and the answer for you and the answer for me is yes, he is willing. He is able and he is willing. The answer is yes, 
with Jesus. And so often when a person is in a cloud of depression or discouragement, and perhaps it's been going on weeks or months or even years, you might start to think, I'm beyond God's grace. I'm beyond God's power. But folks, those, lie, those are lies that's simply not true. Because the next thing we see in this passage, in, in verse 3, we see how Jesus responds to him. We see the cure. And it says, And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will. I will. And he says, Be clean. And immediately his leprosy left him. I like what in Mark 1, what it says there, it says Jesus was moved with compassion. Jesus saw this individual, this man, covered from head to toe with full-on leprosy. And Jesus just not, is only out there just to wow people with miracles. He is entering into the hurt and into the, into the hearts of, of these people, and he's coming with compassion. He's feeling this man's pain. He's feeling this isolation. He's feeling what this man is going through. Because you know what? In a few short months, Jesus is going to be facing that same pain and hum humiliation and torture in even a greater way than this leper would ever know or ever face. And what does Jesus say? He says, I will. He says, be healed. But he doesn't just say the word. He does something that just would have would caused a gasp within the crowd. The religious leaders would have taken out their notebooks and they were like, we're going to write them up for this one. Because what did he do? He touched him. Jesus didn't have to touch him. He didn't have to touch him. He could have just, I mean, when it came to the storm, he just had to say, you know, when he's on a boat, he's having a nap and, and he's sleeping and all of a sudden the storm comes up and, you know, he's, the disciples come to him. They're all worried. We're going over, you know, we're taking on water. We're going to die. We're not going to make it. And Jesus like gets up, you know, like I was having a good sleep for crying out loud. You know, he's scratching him, you know, and he's, you know, he's like, enough already. Well, he says, be still. I'm going back and having a nap. And the storm, just, I mean, he could just say the word and the leprosy could have been gone. But what does Jesus do? He touches him. Why? Because he's compassionate. And he wants to touch our lives in a meaningful and a powerful way, even today. I love what we end up seeing here. Oh, in, in, in the way that this word for Jesus touching the man, this wasn't just a nice little... Uh, Elijah, come here for a minute. Just stand up, would you? Come here. This wasn't just Jesus just going up and saying, I will be clean. The word that we have, this was a meaningful. This was a, I will be clean. And I wouldn't be surprised if at that point he just would have gone and just given him a hug, touching that leprous man. Because Jesus was willing to do that. He was willing to touch. You're not a, you look like you've had a shower in the last week. Yeah? Jesus was willing to touch anyone and everyone with his healing touch. That is who our Jesus is. And so Jesus took hold of him. It had probably been 20 years, maybe even 30 years since this man had had a meaningful, a normal, a loving, hugging embrace from someone who did not have leprosy. And what took place here? We see his healing was immediate. Suddenly his face became normal. His nose would have become the right size. His limbs would have become whole. His skin would have been like that of a precious little baby. 
What a transformation would have taken place. And you notice that every miracle that Jesus performed, it wasn't half, it wasn't a half a shovel miracle. It wasn't just half baked and, you know, we'll give it some time and it'll get better. You know, call me in the morning. It was 100% immediate. I can't wait to get to heaven. And I mean, I'm going to the video archive room at some point. Maybe some of you will join me. We'll go in and, and, and check out the archives. This is one I will love to see. And, and, and I, I would hope that they've recorded all of these miracles, you know, in HD, you know, heavenly dimension. That's bad, isn't it? That's really bad. But just thought of that myself. Um, yeah, I mean, HD, full coverage of this, you know, cameras panning in. Because I, I you know, and, and they'll have multiple cameras going, like some on the crowd. Because it'd be great to watch the face of those Pharisees just... You know, and, and the jaws dropping and, and the wives standing beside their husbands and putting their jaw back up, you know, because like your jaw just hit the floor, honey. You know, and, and, and you know, I mean, just what a miracle this would have been. 100% immediately healing found in Jesus. And just think about it. He's no longer yelling, I'm clean, I'm clean. Now he's yelling, I'm clean, I'm clean. Look at what Jesus has done. But then we see the last thing here. We see the confirmation. Jesus now tells the leper to do something kind of strange. He's like, why are you telling me to do this? Verse 4, it says, Say nothing to anyone but go to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded. Jesus is telling him, now go to the priest and, and, and show them that you have been healed. It's like, hello, isn't it kind of obvious that this just wasn't a light little healing and that it's getting better, that you know, I'm completely well, I'm completely healed? No, because in Leviticus 14, I encourage you to write that down, read it, it outlines an incredible eight-day period of washing and cleansing and sacrifices that a leper was to go through in order to be cleansed, in order to be declared fully healed. Now, this law had been on the books for a very long time, 1,500 years approximately probably since this law had ever, this, this ceremony had ever been reenacted because the only time that, that we see lepers being healed in the Old Testament, we see Moses, Miriam, and we see Nahum, and we see just very limited numbers, and yet the Lord saw fit to put this ceremony in there for the leper who had been healed. It involved going and showing themselves to the priest and initially showing that to them and then returning again seven days. But in that time, there was also two birds, one being sacrificed and some of the sacrificed bird's blood dipped on the wings of the one that was then set free and released. And cedar wood was used as well as hyssop that were, again, just incredible imagery as you read this and as you study it. It was a picture of the cross. It was a picture of the death of Christ. It was a picture of what he has done with our sins as he takes them. As far as the, as the east is from the west, he He's removing our sins as, as, as his blood of the one bird was sprinkled on the other one. And, and it shows us about the death. It shows us about the resurrection. All of this pointing to the Messiah, who now Jesus is. He's now with them. Now, in some ways, you kind of think this ceremony just wasn't necessary. It was obviously, it, he was clean. I mean, everyone was there. They saw it. Why would Jesus do this? They saw this all happen before their eyes. But in Jesus recognized it was important to be obedient to the word of God. You see, here's the thing. Obedience to the word of God sends a powerful message to the unbelieving souls around us. Jesus just doesn't save us, but then he calls us to obey his word and to obey his teaching. 
Jesus was declaring to the people here, and he's declaring to this leper, and he's declaring to the religious leaders who are all ticked off and writing him up for everything that he's done, which they believe is a violation. But Jesus is showing he's not coming to, to destroy, to, to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And so the leper's obedience would allow the unbelieving priests who had a hard time believing in Jesus because this was going to mean their livelihood would be gone. But he desired for these unbelieving priests to see for themselves. They, some of them were probably the ones that declared him years earlier, decades earlier, as someone who was unclean, as a leper. And how about it? Jesus said, I don't want anyone else telling them. I want them to be the ones to have to announce that he's been healed, that he's now clean. And so he was asking the leper to be obedient to the word of God. He was asking him to be obedient. And he wanted the religious leaders to see that Jesus indeed was the Messiah, the promised one. You know, loved ones, as we come to an end here in a few moments this morning, this passage isn't just a nice little story that you see. This isn't just a nice little story of a healer, of a leper being healed, of the worst form of, of disease and sickness of the day. This isn't just the story of a man without hope. This story is an analogy of how you and I can receive the ultimate healing over something far worse and something far more devastating than leprosy. And that is over the power and the disease and the destruction that sin brings into our lives that all of us have been affected with. We've all been infected with the disease of sin and the results of sin are terminal. It means destruction. It means that we are the walking dead. We have a death sentence pronounced upon us. And if you look at the screen and you see the outline of what we've been talking about here this morning, and we've been referring to it and referencing it in, in reference to the leper, but now forget that it's in reference to the leper. Now look at it as the sinner. Look at, at your plight, Jesus, our only hope. As we look at our condition before God, we see that, that, that sin leaves us hopeless before a holy God because we've all sinned. Sin is humiliating when we sin and we mess up and it affects the lives of others. Sin isolates us from God. It messes up our relationships. How many of us have had relationships messed up and destroyed as a result of sin? Not just necessarily your sin, but probably your sin as well as the sin of the others. We've all had that, and sin isolates us in relationships. Sin at times causes us great, or not at times, sin causes great hurt. And it brings it upon ourselves and, and those that we love. And the results of sin are devastating. They lead to ultimate separation from God. Sin is so destructive, it is incurable apart from Jesus where we find hope. And the only way that we can be healed, the only way we can be forgiven, the only way the leper could find, healing and for, could find healing and the only place that we find healing and forgiveness for our souls is through Jesus. Remember the first beatitude? Blessed are the... Does anyone remember? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they will be comforted. And that is where the leper is at. He knew that there was nothing. He came poor in spirit. And because of that, he received a full healing. 
He received life in the kingdom. In the same way, when we come with that broken spirit, mourning over our sin, here the leper is mourning over his condition. He understands he's helpless on his own. He's in the perfect posture to receive that healing. And when we come with a broken spirit over our sins, knowing that there's nothing to commend us to God, and we come with a mourning attitude over our sins, saying, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I have sinned. We are in the perfect posture to receive his healing touch. Have you come to Jesus like this leper? You understand the condition, it's hopeless, it's, it's ho hopeless. There's isolation, there's devastation. Have you come crying in desperation, in humility, in worship, recognizing that Jesus is the only one, is the only way, and we come by faith. And as this leper came to Jesus by faith, knowing he was his only hope, he received that healing when we come to Jesus by faith, saying, God, I know you are able. Would you be willing? And I receive that from you today. And we see the cure. Jesus loves you. No matter what you have done. There is no sin that his grace does not go deeper than. To redeem and to restore. And his forgiveness, it's immediate. He doesn't sit there and wait and say, well, think about it. You know, the jury's out on this. I'm going to go talk to the Trinity. You know, we're going to have a little meeting about you and about your sin. And No. When we come to him... Our forgiveness is immediate, and it's 100%. And he removes that sin from us as far as the east is from the west. And what is the confirmation that this change is happening in us? First of all, the Holy Spirit is in us. Our desires change. Our spirits are, are being transformed. We have a heart of stone. has been transformed into a heart of flesh. We want to obey God. And, and the confirmation is that we desire to be obedient to the word of God. One of those early steps of obedience that God's word calls us to be, that if we are believers in Christ, it's very clear in the word of God. We are to repent and we are then to be baptized. As a, as, as a symbol, as a public symbol of our relationship with Jesus Christ, that we have met Jesus in this way. It doesn't save us, but it confirms the work that Jesus has done. Jesus said, if you love me, you're going to obey my commands. And one of those commands, early on in the life of the believer... And sometimes later on in the life of the disobedient believer is baptism. And I encourage you, if you've never been baptized, to talk to me after the service today. Let me know. We'd love to baptize you next week or shortly thereafter. It's a declaration of what Christ has done in saving and forgiving and bringing spiritual healing and wholeness to us. And our lives are then to be a testimony of his grace, of his love. And this morning... As we bring an end to this time, and we're going to go into a time of worship and the Lord's Supper, we come to the Lord's table. And this isn't a table for those who have not yet received Jesus Christ, have received his touch upon their lives, of what, the way that we've been talking about. And if you've never done that, I'd encourage you, if you're not a believer in Christ, I ask you not, just to refrain from coming forward and receiving the Lord's Supper here this morning. But this morning, if... If you have cried out to Jesus in the way that we've talked about here this morning, the Lord's Supper is for you. And even if today is the first time that you've come to that point of desperation and you recognize your condition and you cry out to Jesus and you cry out to him to forgive you of your sins and, and you, you are repenting of those sins and you're desiring to turn from those sins, you've mourned over them, you, you recognize you've fallen short, and that repentance in our actions, in our future plans, we give them all to God. And we turn from our own way and turn towards God's way. 
Even if you've done that or are doing that in the process here this morning, then the Lord's Supper is for you. It's especially for you today. And every one of us, we come realizing that apart from the grace of God, we are like this leper. We come bowing, realizing that he is the one that heals. We come in worship this morning, thanking him and praising him for his touch upon our lives. And God's word tells us when we approach the Lord's Supper that we are to examine our lives, confessing and mourning over our sin, the sin that creeps in, the way that we can become so distracted so easily and get our eyes off of Jesus and on other things. And today, if you are here and you sense you have no hope, as we talked earlier that those tapes are playing in your head, I want you to know there's hope in Jesus today. Cry out to him for a fresh touch. Cry out to him in humility and repentance. Cry out to him, being willing to be obedient to whatever he calls you to do. Cry out to him today and he will meet you. Jesus had the power then and his power has not changed today. He was able then and he is able today. He was willing then and he is willing today. I encourage you to cry out to him. For whatever it is, a fresh touch from him, he will give that to you as we cry out in humility. Broken. And yet in faith, knowing that you can receive that fresh touch from him this morning.